0: Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, christianquestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Sophocles once said, "Rather fail with honor" then succeed by fraud. Welcome to Christian Questions, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach, as we have been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 18 years.
2: I'm Jonathan, and that long-term, different perspective has its basis in three things—godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone Rick, today is our 970th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the Eastern and Central United States for many years.
1: That's right, and we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. So we thank you for joining us today. This is normally a call-in format. We're not going to be taking calls uh, this evening. So Jonathan, let's get started. What is the subject on the table today?
2: Rick, our question is, does your mind have fraud protection? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much.
1: Does your mind have fraud protection? That is an odd title, I would say. (laughs) So look, have you ever been... Or have you ever known someone who has been a victim of fraud? You know, had their credit card number stolen or their bank account hacked or their social security number breached? It's all quite real, and it is all quite unsettling. Now, have you ever heard the term fake news? Think about it. Fake news is a fraud as, as well, for it, in its reporting, we are led to believe something is true that isn't. It's all quite real. And it's all quite unsettling. All right, now, have you ever taken something from work that is not yours? Or maybe padded an expense report? Or maybe forgotten some income on your tax return? These things are also fraud. They are all quite real, and they are all quite unsettling. The bottom line is, fraud is everywhere, and we as Christians can be victims of it, and we can also perpetuate it. So, what do we do? How do we keep fraud from being part of our lives? So, Jonathan, the whole idea of fraud is a big deal in the world today.
2: It really is, and we don't want to be on the side of fraud. We want to be on the side of truth That's and right. right.
1: That's right. We want, we want to work on protecting ourselves from fraud coming in, but not having to protect ourselves from fraud going out and, exactly. And that's really what today's podcast is all about is does your mind have fraud protection? Are you going to be, are you able to be, are you willing to be prepared to protect from perpetuating any fraud no matter how small it might be. And so so Jonathan, let's get started with this and and let's just go to the to the you know Merriam-Webster online dictionary and define fraud at this point.
2: Deceit, trickery, specifically internal perversion of truth in order to induce another to part with something of value or to surrender a legal right. An act of deceiving or misrepresenting a person who is not what he or she pretends to be. One that is not what it seems or is represented to be.
1: Okay, so it's deceit, trickery, and intentional perversion of truth. That's the key. Intentional perversion of truth. Whether you see something that is fraudulent, you hear something that is based on fraud, or you do something— that can be fraudulent. That's what we really need to look at. So as we get into the subject of fraud, Jonathan, we want to do it from a a, uh, biblical, scriptural way. And it's always our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in that biblical and very relevant, practical way. So as we go through our subjects, we search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try and find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really, really think about. And fraud is on everybody's mind because you probably know people who have been uh, defrauded via by, by credit card or whatever. Sure,
2: and uh, even right now on the news, things are going on, aren't they? Yeah, day. yeah,
1: on a worldwide scale. I mean, this worldwide hack that happened just a few days ago. Uh, but, you know, I've had credit cards, um, um, my credit card numbers... Uh, abused in the past uh i've known i've known individuals who have had a credit card uh abused by up to about fifteen thousand dollars wow. on one credit card and you think well how did that happen and you know it's, it's it's it can be shocking when you look at something like that so what happens who does it are we in line to do those kinds of things maybe not to that level but still nevertheless to commit fraud on a smaller scale. Let's go to a TED Talk from Kelly Richmond Pope on how people rationalize fraud. And, and this is going to get us started because there is, a, there is a scientific way to look at what makes fraud happen. And this can be in a really big uh, sense or in very, very little aspects of our lives.
0: If you ask people whether they think stealing is wrong, most of them would answer yes. And yet, in 2013, organizations all over the world lost an estimated total of $3.7 trillion to fraud, which includes crimes like embezzlement, pyramid schemes, and false insurance claims. This wasn't just the work of a few bad apples. The truth is that many people are susceptible not only to the temptation to commit fraud— but to convincing themselves that they've done nothing wrong. So why does fraud happen? While individual motivations may differ from case to case, the fraud triangle, a model developed by criminologist Donald Cressy, shows three conditions that make fraud likely. Pressure, opportunity, and rationalization.
1: Okay, so they have something literally called the fraud triangle. And there are three sides of that triangle. Pressure, opportunity, and rationalization. We're going to get into those things and develop them. And, and folks, as we do, the idea is to say to, to say to ourselves, okay, do I get involved in those pressures and those opportunities and that rationalization and end up doing things that I really shouldn't do? Is everything that I do doable in front of an audience of the most godly people that I know? <laughs> you know? That's one of the ways of looking at this. So, Here's the thing, Jonathan. In the fraud fraud prevention world, there are also three things. Now, these are three different things. There are three things that need to be done to fight it off. You need to monitor, you need to counsel, and you need to restore. And, And in fraud prevention, those are the three things that they focus on. Monitoring, counseling, and restoration. So here's the question. What do we as Christians need to do to fight off the temptation of fraud? the temptation of perpetuating fraud and, and and you know even when i say that every time i say that you think what what are you talking about i mean we're supposed to be living by high standards right
2: we are and now rick is stretching the truth or exaggerating or lying or being fake it, are
1: those part of our battle yeah and that's the point that's the point. When, when, when we get to that kind of a situation where we stretch the truth so it's really not truth anymore, where we tell that w- little white lie because it would be too embarrassing or too difficult or too costly or too, uh, uh, too complicated to go down the, the other road, that's fraud in some way, shape, or form. And we need to be aware of that in terms of our lives. So, Jonathan, throughout this podcast, we're going to have several Christian fraud prevention lessons. And we're going to—usually, we go through the reasoning, and then we put the lesson on the table. Uh, Today, what we're going to do is we're going to put the lesson on the table, and then we're going to tell you the reasoning behind it. So what's our first Christian fraud prevention lesson?
2: Godliness and fraud do not ever mix. In fact, Fraud deeply angers God, and it deeply wounds those who engage in it.
1: All right. So godliness and fraud, never. It's oil and water. They just don't mix. And let's go to the scriptures to to find the proof for that. Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 to 16.
2: You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small.
1: All right. So... Differing weights, differing measures, no matter where you are, you have to think, plan, and act with the highest level of integrity. Now, this is Deuteronomy chapter 25. This is way back at the beginning of the Jewish law. This is part of it. Differing weights, differing measures means that you have a a set of weights that is accurate and one that's not accurate, so you can take advantage, so you can get a little bit extra for what you're, you're trading with. Well, that's not right. No, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and the, the important thing is that it was present way back at the beginning stages of, of the nation of Israel. As a nation, God saw fit to talk to them about this in Deuteronomy. So let's read now verses uh, 15 and 16.
2: You shall have a full and just weight. You shall have a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For everyone who does these things, everyone who acts unjustly is an abomination to the Lord your God.
1: Okay, so everyone who does these things, who has the false weights and so forth, is an abomination to the Lord God. What does the word abomination actually mean?
2: Well, Rick, it means something disgusting, an abhorrence, especially
1: idolatry. Adult, adult. Idolatry, right? Thank you. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, so, so it's important to understand. God is angry. It's something disgusting before God when we commit fraud. And Rick, there's an
2: example in the Bible in Matthew twenty-one, twelve. Remember when Jesus turned over the money changers' tables in yeah, the temple? Right. It's because they were using false weights to take advantage of the people coming for Passover. And it was an abhorrence to him.
1: So you think about that. Those are, are, are the Jewish people who are in the temple, who are supposed to be doing the work of the, of the, uh, of the uh, scribes and by, by doing this, and they're cheating. And God, in the law that they upheld, is, is said to be disgusted by such things.
2: And Rick, we're always getting great feedback during the week from those leaving questions and comments through our site and the app. Talk to us at christianquestions.com or search Christian Questions in your app store.
1: Okay, lots of ways to contact us. We really do appreciate it when we hear from you. So, Jonathan, the implication here is that God would absolutely exact punishment upon any of his chosen people who would set out to intentionally cheat anyone, even if the cheating was very small. It's like, well, I'm only, only taking a few extra ounces. It doesn't matter. It's either right or it's wrong. There's some black and white here that we have to be able to, to really, really focus on. Let's go back to the Kelly Richmond Pope Ted Talk on how people rationalize fraud, and remember he said there were three aspects to the fraud triangle. And He's going he's to now talk in, the, in this particular soundbite about the most common fraud.
0: Some of the most common types of fraud don't even register as such to the perpetrator. Examples include employees fudging timesheets or expense reports, taxpayers failing to report cash earnings, or service providers overbilling insurance companies. Though these may seem small and can sometimes only involve hundreds of dollars, they all contribute to the
1: big picture. To the trillions and trillions of dollars of loss uh, in, in, in the business world, Uh, due to fraud. So and those are little things, Jonathan, that can oftentimes go completely unnoticed. But just now what
2: happens if we find out we've been doing something wrong and we it comes to our our mind, how do we fix it? I was thinking of Zacchaeus. Yeah. You know, what an example. If I have, uh, you know, done anything wrong, I'll pay back four times the amount that I that I Overcharge someone for taxes.
1: Yeah, and you know, in in his in his repentance in that was in accordance with Roman law. Now, Jewish law didn't require four times. Roman law did. Jewish re- law, I think, required double, if I remember right. So okay. he went to the furthest extent, and that showed the goodness of his heart. At, at, that he was a good man. Now he may have done some bad things, but just because you do bad things doesn't mean you're a bad person. We're going to get into that later, because that also has to do with fraud. So, yeah, you've got to correct it. How do you do that? Well, let's, let's, let's open that up as we go. Uh, so, a little bit further, Old Testament, in terms of defining fraud, and, it's, and it's, it's being a nemesis for us. Beyond the giving of the law, fraud was continually warned against. Now, the giving of the law was in Deuteronomy, you know, Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. But now we jump all the way up to Proverbs, Proverbs 11, verses 1 through 6. A false balance is an abomination to
2: the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them.
1: So if we pause there for a moment, again, a false balance is an abomination. Same thing. It's reminding us of what happened first. So it's not like it was mentioned once and never brought up again. So there's really no excuse. It comes up again and again and again, but then it talks about um, the integrity of the upright will guide him, and there's something very special about the thought of integrity. Okay, so so in these first few verses, you know, we have the powerful process of sinful action, pride, pride will always bring dishonor, and dishonor finds its home in treachery, and treachery brings destruction. Okay, so pride to dishonor, to treachery, to destruction. That's the pathway that goes the wrong way. On the contrary, humility brings wisdom and integrity. And it really, Jonathan, it's a choice because we can be at a million crossroads in our lives and we have to decide, which road am I going to take? Am I going to take that road of pride, which is going to bring dishonor, which is going to go down that treacherous road and bring destruction, or am I going to go down the road of humility and find integrity along the way? Sometimes we may not have integrity right when we start, but we can certainly develop it. And Rick, the treachery and destruction of pride,
2: it affects others around them, yeah. those associated with them. It, it. It hurts other people when someone goes down that road.
1: And see, we don't think about that part. That's a really good point. We don't think about that part because we're all all inside of our own heads saying, well, I got to do this because, uh, because of this, that, and the other thing. So that, that's an interesting way to, to look at this whole thing. Let's finish up this, uh, this verse.
2: Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them but the treacherous will be caught by their own greed
1: so it talks about righteousness and wickedness righteousness and wickedness this goes back and forth between the two and we look at that and we say okay there is a very definite clear-cut choice and decision between those two things what are we going to choose rick all of this
2: being said what about this are we strong enough to stand firm when our life's pressures Meet convenient opportunities to cheat.
0: CQ 3D. Three viewpoints Christian, secular, and neutral.
1: Talking and thinking about integrity is a great exercise. We just mentioned it in the last segment. For we, as followers of Christ, should have an instinctive attraction to integrity. Jesus was the most complete example of integrity that we could ever have. Yet for us actually possessing integrity is a really really difficult task. So so Jonathan your question, we should have integrity because we go by the name of Christian, a Christ follower. But but put on top of that, Rick,
2: pressures. Pressures right. of life. Right. How can you stand with the pressures pushing against
1: you? And that's the key. That's the key. That's what makes fraud happen. Is not just pressure, but it's perceived pressure. And and we're going to get into that as the very as the first leg of that three legged triangle that creates the uh, well that creates fraud. So we're going to go to um, actually this was a talk talk from West Virginia University, uh, Why People Commit Fraud. And it's going over that same triangle that we were discussing in the the TED Talk. So this is going to describe the first leg of the triangle, and that is perceived life pressure.
3: The first leg of the triangle represents pressure. This pressure does not need to actually exist. A perceived pressure is real to the individual committing fraud. A potential fraudster must feel that the pressure is non-shareable, that it must be dealt with alone. The individual usually believes that the problem is impossible to resolve legally, and if the problem continues, the ultimate result will be financial collapse. Frequently, the current issue is related to a personal or external problem, such as excessive debt or loss of employment. Many of the problems originate with vices, such as drug or alcohol abuse, gambling, extramarital affairs, or living beyond one's means.
1: And a lot of interesting things there. First of all, he talked about perceived pressure. There doesn't have to be actual real pressure in life. If we feel pressure, it's bigger than whatever the reality is. And so then we need to be we we look for a way to respond to that perceived pressure. And then the other thing I appreciated about that was he said, and a lot of times it comes because of vices. We get into fraudulent activities to cover ourselves, to cover our gambling habit, or to cover that extramarital affair, or to cover the things that we have been doing um, that that are, are are questionable. So so there's a lot of a lot of interesting things that go into the, the perceived pressure of creating fraud. Jonathan, there's a great Japanese proverb here.
2: Yes, there is, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> the reputation of a thousand years may be, ter- be determined by the
1: conduct of one hour. That is awesome. The reputation of a thousand years might be determined by just the conduct of just one one hour. And so we got to realize how important every action of our life is. Every thought is going to, or has the potential anyway, to create a destiny. And the question is, are we willing to live by the destiny that those thoughts and actions are going to create, or do we want to have more control with those? And, And, you know, folks, Again, we'd love to hear your comments. We're not taking calls uh, today, but if you'd like to give us comments uh, via the the, uh, chat board or email or whatever, please, please do so. Jonathan, let's go to Proverbs chapter 20, verses 5 through 12.
2: A plan in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? A righteous man who walks in his integrity how blessed are his sons after him, a king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes.
1: Okay, so I, I love I love verse six. A man may proclaim his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? And that's a sad statement. It's you. You can you can say yes, I'm the guy that you can count on, but 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 the the the, the thought in the proverb is yeah, but who can find somebody who you can really count on? Because You've heard the phrase, and I use this, I use this a lot when, when I'm doing um, – <laughs> this might sound like a harsh thing to do, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in experiences where, I, where I'm, I'm working with, with folks who have issues and, and so forth, and they're explaining to me, and, and, and they're explaining their, their, their path and what they're going to do, I always look at them and say, yeah, great. Talk is cheap. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the point of that is to say, okay, it's great to talk about it. But what are you going to actually do? And that's what this this verse in Proverbs is saying. Integrity is a rare and difficult characteristic to develop because it will be constantly tested. And you can have great integrity and be going along in your life and going along in a flow and things are good and things are exciting and things are, are working the way they should be. Then something odd happens and you get that perceived pressure and all of a sudden, your integrity can be tested, and it blindsides you. It comes at you from nowhere, and like all of a sudden, you're thinking, why don't I do this? I, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, because it's happened to me.
2: Rick, it's happened to me, and because of this um, subject, and we're all imperfect, and we do make mistakes, this subject, for me, makes me less judgmental towards others. <laughs> uh, this is a Bible study that we should look within and not without. Yeah,
1: no, you're right. Absolutely, positively, we've got to be focused on on the inside, because it's easy to have our minds go down the wrong road. It really, really is. All right, let's get back to that Proverbs chapter 20. Let's go to verses 9 through 12.
2: Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are an abominable to the Lord. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself in his conduct is pure and right the hearing ear and the seeing
1: eye. The Lord has made both of them. Okay, so again, you have this idea of uh, differing weights and and measures are abominable, are disgusting before God. So, Jonathan, this is a a subject, this idea of fraud, is a very biblically uh, proclaimed topic. And it's it's always spoken of in the same light. It's awful. It's not just marginal. It's not in a gray area. It's an abomination. It's something disgusting before God. In, um, in verse 11 there, it said, It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself if his conduct is pure and right. How true that is when you have a young person that maybe they're going to work for you part-time and the, the, there's, a, there's a test of, of integrity and they come through, or, or, or they cut corners. And then automatically, you look at them and say, oh, okay, I'm going to have to really keep my eye on that one. Or you might say, I can't use him anymore. But if you have that young man or that young woman who really lives up to something and, does some, and, and goes the extra mile, say, now there's somebody I can count on, and you automatically want to build on them. So it comes down to integrity. Even as a young person, integrity is such an important thing here. Integrity and fraud seem to continually show as opposites in Scripture. There's all kinds of reasons and circumstances that create the tug of war between integrity and fraud. And we have those things happen in our lives every day. The question is, who wins?
2: We do. And Rick, if someone comes to you and asks for your advice and is looking for help, that's a good sign that you're letting your light shine and and showing righteousness and, and fairness in your life. And that should be kind of a clue on how we're doing.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you're right. And, and when somebody is looking for help, maybe they've made mistakes, but they're looking to right the ship. They're looking to get back on track. And what we, if they are coming to us, what we need to do is give them the kind of guidance that's going to bring them someplace godly, not just someplace better, someplace godly, that kind of high standard. Let's go to um, another soundbite. This is from uh, a a YouTube video, The Three Ethical Factors in Play When Ethical People Commit Fraud. It's a very, very long title Uh, um, from ILSTV.com. I'm not sure. I don't remember what that stands for, ILSTV. But again, CQ Rewind, the full edition, it'll have it in there. And folks, look, if you don't get CQ Rewind the, the full edition. You just don't know what you're missing. It is, it's, it's produced after, uh, about a week after each program, uh, and it takes all of what we talk about, all the scriptures, much of the commentary, puts it on a PDF file with graphics and illustrations, makes it simple and clear to understand, and now you've got a tool to use whenever you need it. And Jonathan, how much does it cost? It's free, Rick. <laughs> free? <laughs> yeah. No strings attached, free. That's right. All right. There's no fraud here. No strings nope, attached. No fraud. Free. Okay. <laughs> you you sign up. If you don't like it, you can click unsubscribe, and you'll never hear from us again on that. So, really, give it a try. If you don't, uh, if you don't use it, seek your rewind, the full edition. All right. Let's go to this uh, next soundbite about why people commit fraud. Um, but there can be so many more motives.
0: There can be a true financial need. Someone is in financial trouble. Um, it could be. Someone just wants to look good, so they will falsify something. Um, they you know, want to build their reputation, or it might be they're under a great deal of pressure. And so all of those things could be motives. Um, and a lot of those then are external, but then the internal part of that that goes on in our heads is the rationalizing of the behavior. So if opportunity and motive are strong enough, My research seems to suggest that virtually all of us are capable of rationalizing something to make ourselves feel okay about what we're doing and therefore commit fraud.
1: That's a disturbing statement. Virtually all of us are capable of doing something that would be considered fraud because sometimes we do have a true need and there might be an easier way to fulfill that true, legitimate need. Sometimes it's looking good, sometimes it's reputation, sometimes it's pressure, but we could all do it. That's why our minds have to have fraud protection. We as Christians are actually, now here, here's the problem, Jonathan, here's one of the problems anyway. We are put in a position where we're given the keys to the castle, if you will, by God, and we're told to manage it. Here is where the fraud, pretent- uh, fraud prevention monitoring is so desperately needed. We need to monitor our own minds in that fraud prevention kind of way, uh, fraud prevention kind of way. And so, our next Christian fraud prevention lesson is what? Christian stewardship is a profoundly relevant character
2: test whose results may have eternal implications. Okay, Christian
1: stewardship. Exactly, what is a steward?
2: Well, Rick, the concept of stewardship is that of a manager of a household uh, taking care of household affairs, like, like a superintendent.
1: Okay, somebody who's in charge of something that doesn't belong to them but has full responsibility. Right. And you're supposed to care for it with the same zeal that you'd care for it if it was your very own. Let's take a look at Christian stewardship described in, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 2. Let a man regard
2: us in this manner as servants of Christ— And of stewards of the mysteries of God in this case moreover it is required of stewards that one be
1: found trustworthy okay a steward has to be trustworthy but here in this verse it says that we as servants of Christ are stewards of the mysteries of God we are given the mysteries of God to take care of so we're caretakers of the gospel that's what it's saying I mean you think about that that's a pretty big responsibility Oh, it's huge. <laughs> you know, because if Jesus gave the, the, the stewardship of the gospel to his followers, and he did, remember when he ascended? You know, he said, mm. you know, go preach the word. Uh, we got to ask ourselves, okay, are we knowing the word the way we should know it? Are we spreading the word the way we should be spreading it? Are we treating it with the respect it needs to be treated? Are we, are we, are, are we using it the way it was meant to be used?
2: And dude, we listen to Paul when he said, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus proclaim the gospel the good news where you wherever you go right. are we doing that
1: and, and again sometimes that can be difficult because yes. our, our ego might get in the way or we're scared or, or or you know you don't think there's opportunity and so so but we are stewards we are caretakers we are superintendents of the gospel that's the first part of stewardship but there's much much more to it in terms of our minds uh being focused on doing the right things and not getting stuck in in this fraud uh, uh cycle so we're caretakers of the truth of the gospel let's go now to another scripture first corinthians again now chapter six this time verses 19 and 20 or do you not know that your body
2: is a temple of the holy spirit which is in you which you have from god and that you are not your own for you have been bought with a price therefore glorify god
1: in your body so we're stewards here again but we're caretakers this time of our own lives you were bought with a price You don't belong to yourself anymore. So are we managing our lives in a way that is worthy of God's ownership?
2: Whoa, (laughs) that's sobering.
1: (laughs) It is. It's a huge thing. And if we are feeling like, you know, I want to cut corners on this or that, is that something that you can report back to God and say, here— Here's how I manage my life. I cut a lot of corners. You're making all kinds of faces. Yeah, that's this. not
2: good. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I right. don't want to hear the answer. <laughs> no, no, and,
1: and, and nor should we, okay? Sometimes, and, and here's the thing. You, we say, okay, we've got to rise above that, but sometimes even the best of our brotherhood can fall into fraudulent behavior due to pressure. Rick, when, when hearing that
2: statement, are we thinking of someone else and not ourselves? Hmm. Um, how have I fallen into fraudulent behavior due to pressure is really what we should be asking ourselves.
1: Yeah. And well, not pointing fingers. <laughs> but having said that, you're right. But what, what happens when th- that something happens? This did happen in the, in the New Testament to a very prominent follower of Christ. Let's go to Galatians two eleven to 14. But when
2: Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy.
1: So Peter, when put to the pressure test—and we're talking about pressure—of Jewish Christians showing up in a a Gentile Christian environment— he started gravitating toward the Jewish Christians and started to look down upon the Gentile Christians. And the Apostle Paul sees this and says, oh, no, 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 no. This is not what we stand for. That is fraudulent behavior. And here's what, here's what Paul said he did. But when I saw that you were not
2: straightforward, forward, I said to Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew live like the gentiles and not like the jews how is it that you
1: compel the gentiles to live like jews so he went to brother peter and he looked him right in the eye nose to nose and said you're you're being hypocritical and you're drawing others to follow you in your hypocritical behavior so the apostle paul saved the apostle peter from a grave error and saved others from following one like Peter who had so much influence.
2: And that makes me think, am I my brother's keeper? Right. After we judge ourselves first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, and you know, and that's an, always an important thing. We've got to judge ourselves first, but we need the brotherhood to watch out for us, and we need to watch out for them. Make no mistake, it's a two-way street. We have to do the watching, and they have to watch us as well. We've got to help them, and they also help us.
2: Rick, this brings us to another question: Are we strong enough to stand firm when our life's pressure meet convenient opportunities to cheat? Good
1: question.
0: Now let's bring the better questions. That's how we get the better answers.
1: You know, it's so difficult to manage the many pressures of life in our present society. I mean, and there's a, there's a million of them. With everything out there in cyberspace, the propensity to compare and to want is an ever-present challenge. Couple that with a door of questionable opportunity opening, and we can really have a serious dilemma. And so, Jonathan, as we go through this question, are we strong enough to stand firm when our life's pressures meet convenient opportunities to cheat? (laughs) You know, you never want to talk about cheating in a Christian environment.
2: You you don't. And I was thinking of a, a practical example. Have you ever um, been stopped in traffic on a highway? And as you're sitting there waiting, all of a sudden people are passing you on the shoulder. Um, hmm. Now, is it right to pass on the shoulder? Actually, it's illegal to pass on the shoulder. Um, but do they justify, oh, I'm in a hurry, or— Do you say, hey, they're doing it, I should too?
1: You know, I hate when people do that, I really do. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it it, it can be tempting, because supposing you do have that appointment, and there is that legitimate pressure, and time's wasting, and you're gonna be late, and you need to be there, what do you do? And those are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves. Are we willing to stand above, or are we going to cave to that perceived pressure in, in 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 our lives?
2: And five minutes later you see the police officer writing tickets.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Down the road about a quarter mile, he's just parked yeah. there waiting for the next person to, to do that <laughs> that the that thing they shouldn't be doing. So yep. perceived pressure or actual pressure. That opens up the door for fraud. Next you need the next leg of that fraud triangle, which is opportunity. Let's go back to the West Virginia University lecture on why people commit fraud, talking about the second leg of the Fraud Triangle, and that is um, perceived or real opportunity.
3: The second leg of the Fraud Triangle relates to opportunity. Before an individual commits fraud, there must be the perception of an opportunity to take advantage of the system without being caught, allowing removing the pressure in secret. The primary source of opportunity relates to poor or inadequate internal controls within the organization's financial system.
1: So now this is obviously, the, that lecture is about, you know, companies and, and companies having to deal with and and uh, measure and take care of fraud. But in personal life, the perceived opportunity comes to be able to take care of that perceived pressure in secret, where nobody else can see, where nobody else can know, where you can find relief and you can just move on. And okay. And, and you know, how often where, where the opportunity uh, comes and then, and then, we're. Good. Well, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but then you rationalize and say, "Well, yeah, it's okay to do this because." But the opportunity, when it comes up, it makes the pressure more more real, and that that is such a temptation. So it's here where opportunity to do something in the darkness to illicitly relieve the pressures of our lives. That again, fraud prevention counseling is important. You know, we went through monitoring now this is fraud prevention counseling it can um, you know play can play a life reputation and integrity saving role if we do this fraud pre- uh, prevention counseling in our Christian lives let's give an example of someone who committed horrific sins now fraud's not a strong enough word for for this particular sin okay. You're right. all right and but it's, it's fraudulent activity, nevertheless. David, uh, King David with Bathsheba back in the Old Testament. This was an opportunity, and that opportunity only brought sorrow and death. Let's go to 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 5.
2: Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem there's the first
1: problem okay <laughs> the scripture the, describes the, the, the king's supposed to be out in battle right but David stayed behind he's the king so he has set himself up for an opportunity because a lot of the the, 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 the strong and fighting men and, 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 and the legal part of Israel if you will is out on the battlefield so what happens verses two and three of second Samuel 11.
2: Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of
1: Ilium, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, so he inquires about her like, whoa, she's gorgeous, who is she? And the answer is interesting. It's very matter-of-fact, but there's very wise counsel spoken in this answer because it says it's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam, and she is the wife of Uriah. Uriah. So leave her alone. Yeah, yeah. You know, Uriah, one of your best men, his wife. So he gets counsel right there about who this person is, but does he listen? No. No because the perceived pressure in his mind of seeing this beautiful woman and being the king and being able to be above the law and, and having his own physical desires come to the forefront overrides it. So what happens? Uh, verses 4 and 5.
2: So David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said i am pregnant
1: okay so you know obviously a lot of time goes by in those couple of verses there but you know we we know the story one horrible decision on the part of king david who stayed behind when he probably should not have led to more and more horrible decisions all of which completely completely undermined any integrity that king david had and resulted in multiple Multiple tragedies.
2: Great point, Rick. We'd love to talk and hear from our listeners and get their feedback and comments. Every week we're hearing from you on our website at ChristianQuestions.com. Keep the great questions and comments coming.
1: So, Jonathan, this is such an important point. Fraud prevention counseling. David had words given to him that could have thrown up a red flag that did throw up a red flag, he just ignored it. And he went on because he wanted to, to satiate his own physical desires, and it just led—well, we know what it led, to. it led to. It led to death. It led to murder. It led to lying and covering up. It, it led to a huge, huge, huge mess of his life uh, shortly after that. And, and that's what fraud does. He had an opportunity and ignored the counsel and took that opportunity. Let's go to our next Christian Fraud Prevention Lesson.
2: Personal spiritual fraud defense is embodied in our seeking excellence in thought and behavior, especially when pressures and dark opportunities abound.
1: Okay, pressures and dark opportunities. What we just looked at was pressure and dark opportunity. Here's what we want to begin to focus on for the rest of this podcast. Personal spiritual fraud defense. And when we say fraud defense, we are not defending uh, against having fraud committed upon us. We are defending against us committing anything that would be considered fraudulent. And And the
2: way to do that is hold up the banner of excellence – and being as Christ like you can you can be in thought
1: word and deed. So let's verify that through through scripture. So let, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 1 through 6 and then verses 9 through 11. I love these verses Jonathan because they bring us a a a, a spiritual phrase that I think is short enough and clear enough that we can grab a hold of and remember and it can be the the kind of sticky note phrase if you have a problem with this that can help to actually deal with the 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 perceived pressures and then the perceived opportunities to do something in the dark in the quiet so again first Thessalonians chapter 4 let's just do verse uh, what, what, what verse are we doing just verse one right now
2: finally then brethren we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction As to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk that you
1: excel still more okay let's pause there he's saying he's finishing up his letter to the Thessalonians and he's saying that you know we have given you instructions on how to walk the Christian walk and then he says and you do it you're doing it and you're a great example but then what does he say excel still more okay three words excel still more that's what the apostle is encouraging them he's telling them you guys are great examples i can talk to other christian churches about your life about your 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 study habits about your christian charity about your character about your fellowship and that's wonderful but i want you to excel still more And that is a powerful, powerful way to deal and to combat the fraud that can take our hearts. And remember, folks, it doesn't have to be something big. Fraud happens in those quiet, dark places where nobody else can see. And we do it because it's convenient and because it helps us to get out of trouble or to feel better or to put something in order or to relieve a stress. But if it's wrong, it's wrong. And it's really black and white in that kind of a situation. So opportunity for a dark solution is also an opportunity to say no and to react with even greater integrity than you ever have had. So when you have the opportunity for that dark solution, a great way to combat that is to to look at it and say, ha, I would have once thought this was an opportunity to do wrong, but no, it's not. This is an opportunity to say no. To say no way to say I am a steward of my life and it's God who owns me and I owe him the highest reaction and response here so it opportunity to say no should come up in our minds if we excel excel still more let's continue verses uh, two through five
2: for you know what Commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God your sanctification that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not to lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not, do not know God.
1: So it's talking about sexual immorality. It's about possessing our vessel, our body, in sanctification, being set apart for God. It's, but what he's saying is come up higher. The power of saying no can be most glaring, when it comes to our controlling the desires of our flesh
2: and Rick that reminds me of Joseph um, in the Old Testament Oh, good one yeah he was, he, he was a steward of Potiphar's household and Potiphar's wife uh, was trying to seduce Joseph and his response was no but to the point where he was thrown into prison for standing up for righteousness sake what a great example he is um, to to live a high standard and excel.
1: Yeah, and and you think about that. The the degree that he went to, he was willing he 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 went to prison and he served time for something that he didn't do. You're right. But it was his word against his master's word, if you will, and he and he just and he just went through it. And and Joseph was a victim of a lot of things in his life. And you know, toward the end, it's You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. That is the integrity of the life of Joseph. That's fraud protection right there. Looking at Satan means those temptations for evil. God allows those temptations for good. We just have to decide. Whose side are we on? I mean, which way are we going to go? Are we going to take that fraud, fraud prevention counseling to heart through the scriptures and say, okay, when these perceived opportunities come, I know what to stand for and why I should stand there. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse, uh, verse, six. Yeah, verse 6.
2: And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you.
1: So, we had, we had discussed several scriptures in the Old Testament that talked about fraud and how God is, uh, it's an abhorrence before God. It's disgusting before God when, when you cheat someone. Well, here in the New Testament, that same theme rings out loud and clear No man transgress and defraud his brother. Why? Why? because it's God's matter to judge, not you. Just because you might want to get a little bit of revenge, and incidentally that's the subject for next week's uh, podcast. Nice. A little bit, well, I don't know if it's nice, but <laughs> 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 but it's good to talk about it so we can <laughs> put it in perspective. You know, that's the thing. Is you got to talk about this stuff because we're all liable. I mean, even the little things like taking like taking um pens or paper or something from the office that doesn't belong to you. I mean, think about that. Well, look, nobody's going to miss it. Well, yeah, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll never know. Does that somehow make it right?
2: D- doesn't your, your company owe you that? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's in your contract, isn't it? Oh, wait, it's not. Wait, is that a justification? Whoops. Yeah, <laughs> that's rationalization. That's next next uh, segment of this podcast. And but you know, that's what happens. And the little, folks, it's the little things that can really, really mess us up in our hearts and our minds. Let's go back to First Thessalonians. Now let's go to verses 9 through 11.
2: Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you.
1: All right, so now he talks about loving the brethren, and just, you know, just a few verses before, it's don't defraud your brother. So now the answer to not defrauding your brother is you've got to love them. You've got to really love them and appreciate them. And look, you have to love them even if you don't like them, and that can be hard and
2: that is hard yes it,
1: it is but it doesn't mean we're not supposed to do it if they have been called to the same calling who am i to judge them as well you know i don't just don't like them so i'm not going to do that for them look if god called them man i better just i better just respect what god called even if it's an imperfect uh, situation because if i look in the mirror it's a pretty horrible sight in terms of per- imperfection isn't it
2: and the example of king david not hurting king saul um, right. Good point. Yeah. He he was. Res- if he's the Lord's, who am I
1: to touch him? Right. Who and am I to harm him in any way? Even though Saul was out to kill him and yeah. tried many times, many times David would not touch the Lord's anointed. And again, that's integrity. Now that's the same King David who later on sinned with Bathsheba. So he, he had yeah. this great integrity to begin with. Fell into a pit of fraudulent sinful behavior and we'll get to later on in life in, in, in a few minutes but again the apostle here says excel still more again in terms of loving the brethren you do a good job excel still more make it your ambition of your life to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and to work with your own hands he's saying look do what you're supposed to do stop getting sidetracked with all this other junk and focus on what's most important and excel still more. That is the way to deal with those perceived opportunities. So it's really saying come up higher. Let your spiritual integrity shine out. Refocus your ambitions exclusively towards likeness in humble stewardship of life. This is your finest opportunity to relieve life's pressures that's where it really comes down to. And that's what we really have to focus on in our lives and in what we look at, what we do,
2: and in how we do it. Rick, this is starting to make sense. But what about this? Fraud's secret weapon is rationalization. How can we avoid this diabolical trap?
0: It's time for a CQ deep dive. That's how we find the answers
1: you know it's hard enough to have the pressures of life pressing us towards the sometimes subtle and always damaging opportunities to manage them in a way that no one will ever know now we pile on our non-stop human ability to rationalize and we really have a problem i mean and this is a, this needs to be a deep dive here because it's an issue once we go down this rationalized road road we really need the fraud prevention restoration part of this uh, this this three part uh, tool to 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 correct the situation because that has got to kick in. We need restoration because Jonathan, we all fall we do we, we all make mistakes we, right? we all come up short here or there. We all have situations where we could have done better, we should have done better, and you know i didn't didn't live and didn't work entirely as high as I should have. so let's get the explanation of this third leg of the fraud triangle and that is rationalization. It's, it's been coming up because you can't separate the legs, you know, and rationalization is the last step in actually committing fraud. So this was the uh, West Virginia U um, lecture on why people commit fraud.
3: The last leg of the fraud triangle is rationalization. People are generally honest. Fraud involves theft. To prevent fraudsters from perceiving themselves as criminals there is rationalization. Rationalization helps justify the crime in a way that makes it acceptable in the mind of the fraudster. One of the most common rationalizations is, I deserved it, or they owe it to me. Employees that believe they're underpaid or otherwise financially taken advantage of frequently use this form of rationalization. They treat me bad is a non-financial variation of the I deserve it rationalization. Another rationalization is, I'm just borrowing the money. Mentally, it's much easier to justify borrowing than stealing. The final rationalization we'll mention is, it's not my fault, which is used to transfer blame to someone else.
1: Yeah, it's not my fault. If they would have only done things better, I wouldn't have to be in this situation. And, and, and that was like what you were saying before, Jonathan, they owe it to me. Well, no, they don't. And even if, it's, even if the situation is not right and not fair... It doesn't make it right for us to act in, a, in, an, in an unauthorized way according to godliness. And I understand we have a, a, a comment from the the audience. Jewel, would you bring that for us, please? Sure. From Joyful and Triumphant, she says, I heard a definition of rationalization. Rational lies. L-I-E-S.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: And then she also quotes a scripture from Psalms 51.6.
1: Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We need help to see and have truth in our innermost thinking. All right, good comment. Thank you for that, Jewel. And rational lies I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to watch out for this stuff, because it is there, and it will take us when we're not looking. There, rationalization is subtle. And we know that because that's what happened at the very, very beginning. Let's go back to Eve in the Garden of Eden for this. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7.
2: Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die.
1: Okay, look, so far so good. Okay, she knows the guidelines. She repeats the guidelines. She acknowledges the source of the guidelines as God himself. So you think, wow, okay, this is good. You know, you're, you're on the right track. She's heard something, and she is, she, she's, she's spitting back out the important uh, uh, direction that, that she and, and Adam had been given. But what happens?
2: The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good
1: and evil. So the serpent contradicts God. Oh, no, 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 no. You won't die. You know, this is, you know what this is? This is a danger, Will Robinson. Danger. That's what this <laughs> is. You know, <laughs> when our integrity is challenged, it's inevitably challenged by way of rationalization. always check it out. See if we're right about that. This sounds like new information, and therefore a new way to consider things. But see, God had already spoken. Eve knew that. God had already spoken, but this was a new way. Because it's like, oh wait, you're expanding on what God said, but you're telling me something different. And if you're hearing something different than what God said, you better take You better put up your shields because, you know, it's not going to work out well. And let's go back to verses six and seven.
2: When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Or Rick, their eyes were opened, but not quite the way they expected.
1: No, no, and their eyes were opened in a way that was not supposed to yet be, and so everything was thrown off because the rationalization opened the door for actual sin.
2: And one of uh, Satan's trickeries is add a little bit of truth with a deception to make it palatable.
1: Right, and you need that. You need truth in a deception. Because otherwise, it's too easy to, to to detect. But if there's truth in the deception, and that's why, you know, fraudsters online, when they when they, they create websites that look just like a real website, and so when you go in and you do your things, they can get to your information. You know, so you have to have truth involved in, in the deception. Now, there were three actual rationalizations that Eve gave into here. Adam only needed one, the fact that his wife had offered him that which was forbidden, Okay restoration would now be a necessity. And, and Jonathan, we don't have time to go into it, but in Seeker Rewind, we had talked about that earlier, Seeker Rewind, the full edition, folks, if you haven't signed up for it, please do. It's a free service. It's available through your app. It's available at christianquestions.com, and it's a PDF file that we send you once a week that summarizes in great detail the previous week's podcast with the scriptures and the commentary and graphics and illustration. In the bonus material, we go into those three rationalizations that Eve gave into. No time for it uh, today, but it's in the bonus material, so you get some extra good stuff in there on that. So, uh, Jonathan, restoration would now be a necessity. Want to give an example of a horrific fraud that actually happened several years ago. This We're going back to the Kelly Richmond Pope TED Talk uh, about how people rationalize fraud, this was—you just you, you just got to listen to this. This is unbelievable.
0: And it's not just
1: corporate greed.
0: Governments and nonprofits are also susceptible to fraud. During her time as city comptroller for Dixon, Illinois, Rita Crundwell embezzled over $53 million dollars. Rita was one of the country's leading quarter horse breeders and winner of 52 World Championships, but the cost of maintaining the herd ran to $200,000 per month. Because her position gave her complete control over city finances, she was easily able to divert money to an account she used for private expenses, and the scheme went unnoticed for 20 years. It is believed that Cronwell felt entitled to a lavish lifestyle based on her position and the notoriety her winnings brought to the city. It's tempting to think of fraud as a victimless crime because corporations and civic institutions aren't people. But fraud harms real people in virtually every case.
1: That's amazing. Millions and millions and millions of dollars she siphoned off. And, you know, she's saying, well, look, I'm bringing notoriety to the city, so what's the big deal? You know, I'm sure, it's helping me. And, 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 you know what happened is she developed a habit and it just, the, 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 her conscience probably went completely silent. And because it was too easy, no, no checks and balances, and millions and millions and millions of taxpayer dollars went into her pocket to support what she was doing. That's amazing to me. It is. And, but you know, as, as amazing as that is, when we do the little frauds, commit the little fraud-like things in our lives, that's pretty amazing too if we claim the name of Christ. What are we doing? That's the, sad. the thing we have to ask ourselves. Next Christian fraud prevention lesson. Personal
2: spiritual fraud has symptoms which are often internal but nevertheless recognizable as they are founded in the idolatrous perspective of
1: me first. Okay. So a lot of times, the symptoms of personal spiritual fraud are inside, and they're not necessarily big. They're those little, quiet, silent, dark thoughts. And maybe we keep them hidden on purpose, and we try not to pay attention to them too much on purpose until the proper opportunity comes up. But they're there, and we can find them because it's all about me first. Every time we commit some kind of fraud, it ends up being something about me first. These next verses, Psalm 10, verses 3 and 4, then verses 6 to 11, are a dramatic example of what we need to watch out for. I mean, this is is darkness and evil being described, and you think, well, I'm a Christian, I'm not going to go that far. No, but how far do you go in your mind to be able to do the same types of things? So Psalm 10, let's start with verses 3 and
2: 4. For the wicked boasts of its heart's desire, And the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked, in the haughtiness of his countenance, does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God.
1: And when we get involved in perpetuating fraud, that is an abominable thing before God, even if it's something small. And really what we're saying when we're doing that, in the moment of that action, there is no God. We have taken God out of the picture. We have to watch out for that because our thoughts can bring us down that road, that, that, that triangle, that fraud triangle could bring us there. So We have
2: put ourselves in the place of God.
1: Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. We've become God. There is no God. I get to decide above the law right here. So whenever we rationalize ourselves into acting fraudulently, we're becoming God, of our, the God of our own lives. There is pride behind this, even when our fraudulent actions are simply for self-preservation. Let's go to verses, uh, six, verses 6 and 7.
2: He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness.
1: Okay, so you see the process here. He says to himself, just like his heart's desire in the previous verses, that's a thought. Then he says, I will not be moved. Now it's down to words because now his mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. And, and again, a lot of times, Jonathan, when we get into, into, the, um, in, in, into the, the, the wrong kinds of activity, we have to become dramatic to make ourselves do it. And I think there's something to be said for that. And again, it's a, it's a way to, to say, hey, wait, wait, this is, this is not good. Out of this self-serving and godless way, comes the spewing out of dark words that reflect the darkness of the thoughts that, that are now living in our hearts. See, the thought has to live in your heart before it can actually be expressed. It's got to find a place to, to take root. Rationalization simply breeds more rationalization. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, just, it's just that simple. Back to Psalms chapter 10. Now let's go verses 8 through 11.
2: He sits in the lurking places of the villages, in the hiding places he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. He says to himself, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face. He will never see it.
1: So now, look, we as Christians are going to look at these verses and say, come on, we're in, I'm not going to do that. And by God's grace, I hope we're right. We're not going to do that. But are we going to begin to get involved in the kinds of activities that follow this pattern? See, it's not, going over these verses right here, it's not so much the activities we want to focus on, it's the pattern that we need to think about. It's the pattern that we need to say, okay, am I going down that road? And what's the pattern here? It's thoughts, it's words, and then it's actions. And those actions, again, they may be self-preserving actions. They may be actions that are like, okay, look, I had to do this because I had no other choice. And, and how often? And again, Jonathan, not, not, to, you know, not to get... Um, personal in your life or 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 in mine about mistakes we've made specifically but you know sometimes you feel like i have no choice but to do it this way and to do it this way really isn't the best way and maybe it's fraudulent in some small way but we say to ourselves well yeah but i gotta look nobody's gonna know it's not gonna hurt anybody and and i'll never do that again but and i mean there's rational rational lies rational lies like that definition was before Yes, yes just coming out again and again and again and we have to be so careful of that. And, and if we're not, boy, we're, we're, we end up in, in, in big, big trouble. We need that restoration. Remember, Adam and Eve needed restoration. In the Psalms scriptures, the restoration is obvious. You, know, you need to get to that point of, of restoring from there. All of this is made possible by the delusion that God does not see. That is purely delusional. But when we rationalize, here's, here's the problem with rationalizing. You rationalize, and what is real becomes cloudy. And what is wrong, what is false, what is a lie, becomes clear and focused. That's what happens when we rationalize. We now bring into focus all of the wrong things and bring out of focus all of the right things. And, it, and it's like the, the, the camera that can only focus on, you know, if you have one person in the forefront of the picture and one person way in the back, somebody's going to be blurred. Right. Okay? So the camera lens of our mind, looking at the activities of our lives, the question we have to ask ourselves is, when the pressure comes up and the opportunity comes up and the rationalization comes up, it's that, that character that's right in front of our face. And we focus on that. And way in the background, way in the distance, is godliness, is righteousness, is living a Christian life, is being a steward of your own life. But that's become a blur. Look past what's right in front of you and focus on the reality of what's behind you, behind it, because that's where we can begin to combat all of this difficulty and all of this rationalization.
2: Rick, from a godly and principled approach to overcome, our last question is, pressure, opportunity, and rationalization, what a mess. How can we leave this travesty behind?
0: You thought we had it figured out. Time to make things more complicated.
1: You know, Jonathan, as with every other type of challenge that we face in this life, there is an answer. Now, look, this answer is never easy, but it is nevertheless an answer that we can grow into as we strive to follow Jesus. And most of the time, the good answers, the answers that actually solve our problems, are answers that we have to grow into. We can't just say, okay, I'm going to plug this answer into my life and turn the knob and it turns on and, hey, look, I'm different now. No. That's not what's going to happen. We've got to go... It takes time. It does. It takes time, Rick. It takes time and it takes effort. and Discipline. And and sometimes it feels like it's too big. Sometimes it feels like it's too much. There's a great quote here from Chester uh, Nimitz. God, grant me the courage not to give up when I think
2: is right, even though I think it is hopeless.
1: That's powerful. Grant me, God, grant me the courage not to give up what i think is right even though it just looks entirely hopeless that's the that's the kind of integrity spiritual integrity we need to combat the little frauds in our lives because a lot of times those little frauds can become little habits that become big habits and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you are stuck you are just stuck Let's go to our final soundbite for today's podcast. Again, the West Virginia University uh, lecture on why people commit fraud. And here is a uh, conclusion.
3: The fundamental premise of the fraud triangle suggests that when an ordinary person or accidental fraudster commits fraud, all three of the legs of the triangle must be present. There must be a perceived problem that cannot be shared or pressure. Additionally, there must be an opportunity available that the fraudster believes can be used to solve the problem. And finally, the person will rationalize the
1: fraud to help in the denial that the action is wrong. So, to commit fraud, especially for those of us who are walking the walk, you know, professing to be Christians, look, we can fall into this, and it can happen to us, and you have to, there's going to be pressure, whether it's perceived or real, there's going to be opportunity, whether it's perceived or real, and then there is going to be rationalization, which is the basis for committing fraud. So our our, our final Christian fraud prevention lesson is what?
2: Acknowledge the seriousness of the smallest fraudulent thoughts and activities and the importance of keeping your personal integrity intact. Act accordingly. All
1: right. So One of the things we have to do, uh, coming to the end of this conversation here, is you acknowledge the seriousness of the smallest fraudulent thoughts and activities. You know, taking pens from work is fraud. I'm sorry, it is. It just is. Now look, is anybody going to miss the pen? Probably not. Unless it's one of those pens where they put the name of the company on the pen and say, here, take these and pass them out to people, which is a whole different story. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that you shouldn't be doing. And as a Christian, we are supposed to be lights in the world, not contributing to the darkness of the world. So acknowledge the seriousness of even the smallest fraudulent activities. Uh, and, and then the importance of keeping our personal integrity intact. It's fraud versus integrity, you know. You know, like uh, like those old Japanese movies, you know, Godzilla versus the, the other monster guy, whatever he was, his name was. You know, <laughs> these two these two things have to fight. You've got, but integrity has to win. If we're Christians, that Christians, that's what has to happen. We have got four points we want to go over in this final segment here. The first point, Jonathan, is what.
2: Ah, realize. a good question, yes. Rick. Yes, oh.
1: the bullet point there, yes.
2: Okay, realize whose side you will represent by choosing between integrity and fraud. See, you're going to represent
1: somebody or you're going to represent something. Realize whose side you're going to represent. Are you going to represent integrity? Or are you going to represent fraud? Se- uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 15.
2: He was faithful in very little thing, is faithful also in much. And he was an unrighteous in very little thing, is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that
1: which is another's, who will give you
2: that which is your own?
1: So this is after the parable of the unrighteous steward, uh, and Jesus is wrapping this up saying, Look, if you are faithful in little things, you can therefore be faithful in the big things. See, too often we reverse that and say, oh, God, give me that big responsibility. I'll show people how I can lead through all of these things. But no, that's not the way it works. He gives us the little things because the integrity of your life is what is the important thing. Not the show of your life. It's the integrity of your life that counts. Stewardship and perspective. Simply, it's really simple. Be faithful to that which is before you in a godly manner. And so what if you don't have big things? So what if God has not trusted you with big things? Take the little things and run like the wind with them, with that integrity, so that you can hold them up in, in such a, a great, uh, great example. It's just like the, the example of the parable of the, uh, the pounds. Remember when the, the guy buries it in the ground? Or is that the talents? I forget. I confuse the two. But, it, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he, one guy buried it. The other guy wrapped it in a napkin. The point is... It was something small, and he figured because it's so small, it's not going to matter. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So let, let's continue now. Luke sixteen ten to fifteen. Being faithful and little—that's the first point. What's next? Verse
2: um, verse faith- uh, verse thirteen. Uh, verse right? thirteen. Yes. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God.
1: See, getting what you think you deserve is highly esteemed among men. Protecting your position is highly esteemed among men. Doing things quietly for your own self-serving end results is highly esteemed among men. Oh, you did that. Oh, you got that. Oh, way to go. How'd you do that? Wow, that's cool. It's detestable before God. And Jesus says it very, very simply. You can't serve two masters. You can't. So you have to choose. And inevitably, if we are going to straddle the fence between serving God and serving Satan, essentially, by, by being involved in fraudulent activities, then what we end up with as a result of that is being a servant of Satan, because you, that fence is not one that you can straddle and stay stay balanced between. So, we're we're
2: being fake.
1: Yes, exactly, and and you know that's the point of being in one of the sets of sound he called them fraudsters. That's the point of being a fraudster. You are fake. You are doing something that is not real. We can really, truly only serve one master. Will it be the God of heaven? Or will we choose the path of compromise that leads to serving that which is detestable in God's sight? I mean, to me, excel excel still more. Don't follow that which is detestable. Excel still more. that comes. got to come back and got to ring in our heads and our hearts. What's the next bullet point here?
2: know that the level of integrity you adhere to speaks more about your life than any other single element. And we can always choose to excel still more if our integrity has been compromised.
1: Now, so if you have made mistakes, and and Jonathan, to me, this is one of the really big points of today's podcast. All right, look, let's be honest and let's be real. We've all made mistakes like this.
2: We fall down.
1: Right. We've all made choices that were not godly in those choices. They were selfish, and they ended up being fraudulent. They may have been small, but nevertheless, we've done it. The key is this. That doesn't have to make you. That doesn't have to define you. We can decide what level of integrity we are going to live according to, and we can learn to excel still more, even if our integrity has been compromised. That's a great place to start, as a matter of fact, because it's a lot easier to excel, excel still more when you when you have bad integrity. It's like, okay, let me just write the ship, and you're already ex- excelling still more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're moving in the right direction. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. And, and now let's show a dramatic example of excelling still more. Let's go to King Solomon. Now, remember, Solomon is David's King David's son. Now he's before he's he's before God after he built the temple. And this is what God says to him. Pay close attention to the content of God's comments to Solomon in 1 Kings 9, verses 4 and 5.
2: As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So now wait a
1: minute. Earlier in the podcast, we talked about David being wretched in his sins, wretched in his decisions and the the destruction that he caused as a result of his decisions. And yet in this verse... God, speaking to David's son Solomon, he says, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness. What is wow. Tha- <laughs> what does that tell you about the ability to recover from sin? From- he righted the ship. He not only righted it, but he brought the level up so much higher and it probably took ye- well it did not probably it took years and years and years of him and he went through a lot of trials Jonathan i mean mu- right. much of his it, life afterwards was was a mess
2: his sons really gave it to him
1: yeah 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 and 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 there was rebellion in the ranks and and and, and, and like his son Absalom especially but what we see in this lesson is david brought his heart Back in line with godliness. Not brought his heart just out of the mud and took a shower, but he brought his heart in line with absolute clear-cut godliness.
2: He excelled still more.
1: Yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Even though he fell into evil and fraudulent activity fully, he had a heart for God and provoked the loyalty and integrity of his heart by, just like you said, excelling still more. And, and folks, just, just one, one, one more reminder, you know, um, with, with, a, with a lesson like this, with a conversation like this about fraud and, and, and personal actions and activities, we really want to make sure that we take it home with us. One great way to take it home, it's great to have the audio, to, to be able to listen to it, but it's even better to have the ability to, to follow along with the scriptures and the commentary and the graphics that make it easy reading and how do you do that? Well, you do it with uh, Christian Questions um, CQ Rewind, and that is a free service that you can sign up for at, at ChristianQuestions com or through your app. Give it a try and see if, if in fact, it is a is a tool that you can really help you take the lesson and make that lesson your own. Okay, so we we the we went through two of the four points about this acknowledging the seriousness of the smallest fraudulent thoughts and activities and the importance of keeping our personal integrity intact. Uh, The third uh, bullet point, Jonathan, is what?
2: Submit yourself to whatever proving may be necessary to reveal the depth of your integrity.
1: Okay, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it. Psalm 26, verses 1 to 4. I love these verses.
2: Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering, Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders.
1: So it starts out, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. And you're saying, well, that sounds like he's pretty proud of himself, like, hey, look, I've walked in integrity, you can check it out. But he's saying, God, test me, check it, make sure. Prove me. Right, right and he's saying you know when he says i have walked in my integrity he's not he's saying look i didn't just think about integrity i didn't just pray about integrity i just didn't just have fellowship about integrity i have walked in integrity i've trusted you I, my test my mind and my heart. See if I if what I'm saying is actually really true. Because your loving kindness is what is driving me to be able to do that and to stand that that tall in in your truth. I have walked in your truth. So it's a beautiful example. I've walked in my integrity. Try me. Prove me. Make sure that what I'm thinking is exactly what is supposed to be. Because I want to be doing what you would have me to do. Our final uh, bullet point, Jonathan, is what.
2: Always keep the brotherhood and your small role in it in your personal daily focus.
1: And, and you know, for some reason, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but for the past many weeks, somehow or other, this thought keeps coming into my mind: is our small role in the body of Christ. You know, it doesn't matter what you think you are, what 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 uh, responsibilities or privileges you might have. We all play a small role. In the body of Christ Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit
2: but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others
1: okay so what it says is with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. Not just as equally as important. Or you know, Jonathan's almost as important as me. No, no, no. That's <laughs> that's not it. It doesn't matter. We all play a small role. And when you think about it, the apostle Paul wrote this. And the apostle Paul was was a living example of treating others as more important than himself. And he carried incredible burdens, an incredible opportunity, an incredible privilege, and yet he saw himself as the least of the apostles he saw himself in a role as a servant he said look i would much rather go with the lord but i'll stay here because you are so important that's how you deal with that's how you fight against that's how we stand up against the the temptation for fraud is to have that humility that can take our ego and put it in check so there's been there's been you know, quite, quite a bit to talk about here uh, today in terms of, of this subject, Jonathan. And again, it's fraud from the standpoint of let's make sure that we are not per- perpetrating fraud from ourselves, but we are perpetrating, we are putting out from ourselves godliness and righteousness because we are God's stewards of our lives. He owns me, I owe him my allegiance. And my highest actions and activities and certainly staying away from fraud and living in integrity. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back again next week with another podcast, another subject. But till then, make sure your integrity outweighs the fraud temptations in your life. Think about it. And folks, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic suggest future topics for us, start a conversation with us at christianquestions.com. Make sure to download our app, uh, search Christian Questions in your app store, and we look forward to bringing you another subject next week.